Hello, and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast extension for ROI Show 514. Our guest for today is Dr. Oren Kolodny from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. We'll be talking about a sneaky theory of where language came from. Our history buffs are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. Rick, we'll let you start off. Thanks, Jay. Oren, uh, in the broadcast portion of the uh, the show, you mentioned uh, one of the, the, the features of language would be uh, sequential, looking into the future or planning for the future. And I ask a question about when there's evidence of the first hominoid-type language, and you gave an answer. And I was wondering, do cave paintings that have been found uh, indicate structured language? I'm sorry, you were completely cut up, and I couldn't uh, hear what you're asking. Do cave paintings show evidence of language? It's quite hard to tell whether... Cave painting, how to interpret cave paintings. So first of all, the simplest cave paintings we find are actually not uh, formally paintings the way we think about them, but rather um, etching or stacking on the wall. And the function of those is not completely clear. So at the point where we see beautiful sketches of depicting hunting scenes and things like that, if you ask me, I would suggest that it's clearly suggests complex thought and that kind of thinking, which would have gone hand in hand, and we know it went hand in hand with complex material culture, is most likely to have already emerged on a background of a society in which language is well-formed and highly developed already. So it might not have been the language uh, as we know it, but it was probably a language quite complex in nature. And as I said earlier, I would guess that this already occurred in modern Neanderthal, suggesting that at least the cultural language that it, re- that it relies on, the qualitative features of the communicative system, were already existent in the common ancestor of Neanderthals and modern. People have tried to invoke symbolic art quite extensively to uh, argue about, about language and demonstrate that without language, it's hard to to come up with complex symbolism, but I don't fully buy into that. So I'm not sure I could decisively say anyone who draws a complex drawing necessarily is a communicator or vice versa, that their the communicative abilities. I, I mean, I don't know whether communicative abilities that sound and language are prerequisite for that kind of thinking or not. I'm certainly not sure. I am. I'm, I, I tend to buy that argument, but I'm personally uh, not I'm interested. You talked in your article about the importance of teaching for this development of sophisticated language. Can you talk for a moment about that? Okay. So what I really care about is not to put a date on it, but rather to reason about the evolutionary context of why and how and when creatives emerged. Because this is really what some would argue, and uh, I among them, that this is what makes us human. And so understanding what the context was and how this came to be is super important for understanding us, understanding who we are and what we're doing. And I would suggest, following from the criteria that's offered in, in the study and I talked about earlier, that the most likely setting in which that answers all these criteria of being evolutionary context where communication is super important, where every incremental improvement 
might provide a meaningful fitness benefit where there's a lot at stake. So fitness is directly influenced by the success of the communication and a situation where the interests of the communicators are completely aligned with one another and there's no there's little room or risk of cheating, at least the, in the initial development of the context. I would argue that teaching is exactly that setting where I'm trying to teach someone a, a complex skill and his success in life and respectively, my uh, evolutionary success, because these are my, often my offspring or my team, relies on successful communication. And any slight improvement would lead to meaningful fitness consequences. So in teaching of important things about how to produce a tool that will actually allow you to you know, hunt your next meal or protect yourself from being predated upon by, by predators is super important. And even you know, 1% improvement in the success of that teaching process. And if I manage to get my son or daughter to appropriately just half a year earlier, then that could be crucial, particularly when you know, lifespan is shorter and infant mortality is very high and so on. Okay, we have one last question to ask. And I noticed in some of the debate that's going on here, there's an argument being made that language doesn't develop in sort of a Darwinian evolutionary approach where it's very slow and gradual, but that it happens very, very fast. It appears almost so in about two minutes. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting uh, question. In evolutionary biology, there's been this huge ongoing debate about punctuated equilibria or punctuated evolution where things don't change very much for a long period of time and then suddenly change versus gradualism where things change incrementally all the time as a constant and slow process. And I think if you ask Darwin which of these is more likely would probably side with a gradualist approach but I don't think that he would say no, punctuated changes can never occur. So it's not anti-Darwinian to argue that things might change abruptly. In fact, I think within evolutionary biology, many, many people are proponents of punctuated equilibria and punctuated changes that happen on short timescales compared to the overall timescale. None of them, or the vast majority of them, would view themselves as complete Darwinists. Right? I am one of those. One of my papers dealt with punctuated leaps in cultural evolution that coming from a completely Darwinian approach. Not anti-Darwinian to suggest that things change on a broad scale, it does require to ask you know, an important question, what is about this kind of, um, of setting? And there are different kinds of answers. Often we imagine systems that suddenly cross a threshold and then things happen. One scenario in the evolution of in speciation or evolution of new species is if ecological niches suddenly become vacant, then there's room for speciation where many, many species suddenly appear and uh, evolve to take on those, to, to make use of those niches. In the context of language, that was actually one of the questions that I started out with. Can I, I didn't collect this, I, initially I didn't collect the idea that language could evolve from, you know, abruptly from a single mutation, which is one of the uh, unlikely ideas that are suggested by, uh, by some people in the Chomskyan school of thought. But as a sort of exercise, I challenged myself with, coming up with a scenario where this could happen. And I ended up coming with this theory that I just described that, in fact, does suggest a fairly abrupt appearance of language because it creates a feedback. Once you start communicating uh, using the linguistic modality, using a vocal modality, for example, on, in order to improve your ability to produce stone tools, then you're able to produce stone tools better. And that, in, and that exerts further, selection, um, uh, further selective force on improving the communication on which that production relies. Orin, I'm going to have to. Time scale, Orin, I'm going to have to interrupt the you. Evolution of language relatively quickly, particularly if something like a Baldwin effect is involved, something that uh, where plastic 
behavior or plasticity in the development of the brain, for example, while you're a child or as you use the brain, even uh, later on in life, allows to put more and more emphasis on a certain trait that then can be selected. And for example, to make this concrete, Orin, Orin, I'm, I'm running out of time, man. I, I'm going to have to interrupt oh, no. you here. I'm, I'm right up against so the, the back end. One sentence. If I'll, I'll summarize this in one sentence. If I have to communicate about something with my kids, that relies on creating links between uh, physical manipulation of stones and vocal utterance. I'm X good at this and someone else is Y good at it. Then natural selection will prefer my or my lineage over his because I am more adept at making these links. And this creates a feedback loop that can give rise to huge complexity and very rapid selection for traits that are required for language. Thank you very much. Was that uh, a short enough sentence? Thank you. It was really my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. We would like to thank our guest for this 514th show, Dr. Oren Kolodny from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, who talked to us about a sneaky theory of where language came from. The history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KLA Radio and on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. And you can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.